Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. I studied cancer genetics for six years and a child life specialist told my daughter she had cancer. And they did it in a complete, simple, perfect way that we never could have. Mm. And um, you can't put a value on something like that as a parent, you know, because the way that we present things to her, I I became aware very early on that I couldn't fall apart because it Mm -hmm. scared her. Yeah. And um, so that helps kind of putting up a wall, like, but you also became aware that she only understood what you presented to her. Yeah. And so, for instance, child life, you know, doesn't say, oh, you have this terrible disease. They say, you know, you have six cells and we're going to put a, a button in mm-hmm. under your skin so that we can give you your medicine and it's uh, your special medicine and it's going to get rid of the six cells. And when your hair falls out, um, it's because your special medicine is working. So it's really a good thing. And they had coached us so well on all of that. Um, that when her hair fell out, the very first kind of clump of hair that she got, she looked at me and smiled and she said, my medicine's working, mommy. Welcome to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. We're a community that's dedicated to funding life-saving cancer research through a three-day experience of cycling and volunteerism. I'm your host and ride community manager, Jill Landino. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Through research, we will see an end to cancer. Thankfully, every single penny raised through our riders, virtual riders, and volunteers goes directly towards the solution. This is made possible by our major funding partners, the Elburns Foundation, Huntington, the American Electric Power Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santuli. It's because of them, all of our partners, and this dedicated community that all of this is possible. The Pelotonia Fellowship Program helps fund young scientists who are pursuing a career in cancer research. Investing in future generations of scientists who can one day change the world is certainly one thing that drives the Pelotonia community to go above and beyond in their fundraising efforts. Since the program's start in 2010, the fellowship program has awarded over 522 student fellowships to pursue research. One of those, in 2015, was Morgan Schrock. Little did she know that her four-year-old daughter would bring a whole new purpose to her work. Let's begin this conversation with Morgan in this episode, My Medicine's Working Mommy. So during your your graduate studies and research, um, you come across the Pelotonia Fellowship Program. So can you talk a little bit about how that application process and the funding process and kind of what you worked on with that one? Yeah. So... Funding was always awkward for me because I technically uh, already had a doctorate, mm-hmm. and I didn't. I wasn't sure about my eligibility for Pelotonia. And the Pelotonia Fellowship is really, I mean, you look around and you see your colleagues that get it, and it's the cream of the crop, really. Yeah. And um, you know, you're always nervous every time you put stuff out there, but you get used to rejection as a scientist. <laughs> so um, 
I, I submitted along with a friend of mine, actually, Mike Hoover, and we both we both received. We actually called ourselves the Triple Crown that year because <laughs> in in our lab, in the Huebner lab, um, my boss got an idea grant, and then um, we had a postdoctoral fellow, and then I was the graduate fellow. Wow! That received an award, which is very rare if you know how competitive they are. Yeah. And for them all to go, you know, within one, we're a pretty small lab, so we were really excited. We were working on a project understanding why loss of one gene. Um, makes cancer cells resistance to radiation. Hmm. And it had particular, uh, it's kind of a gene that's lost across many different cancers, but it had a particular focus on breast cancer. And getting, so I got that Pelotonia Graduate Fellowship three years into my graduate work. And and I think people don't always understand how that money's helpful in a research setting. And so, um, you know, when money dries up, you kind, of, you kind of have to graduate. You know, mm-hmm. The story's over. We can't. We don't have any more money to work on the story. Right. And so that came at a time where we kind of needed the extra help. And so it was. It allowed me to, you know, further this project and get a high impact journal. I know that were there were multiple uh, submissions, grant submissions from the paper that we published and the work that I've done, and it's a kind of an ongoing project. So we we um, the fellowship is helpful on many levels. So let's go back to that moment in Children's Hospital when the doctors first told you that Emmy had cancer. How did you cope with that news? That was tough. I remember curling up in a fetal position on the floor in the hospital, and, you know, my my in-laws were there, and Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, I'm just going to take a nap, but I just started crying. Well, I just remember as a veterinarian, whenever I was going to break bad news, I would always lead up to it. So I would always say... You know, it could be this less scary thing or this more scary thing or this really scary thing. And so you kind of plant that seed and then you then you wait to hear what the labs are. And then then Mm. it's then it's there and people aren't surprised. And I just remember came he came in and he said, it's cancer. And I said, there's no way. What are the other scary, less scary things it could be? Yeah. And, um, you know, he didn't he didn't really talk about it. And of course, my husband knew. um, Mm. And. And I wrote this to Dr. Irva Polly over a Christmas card, and I said, you know, he was heartbroken Yeah. to tell us. He really was, and um, that helped. <laughs> <laughs> it made it, yeah. I don't know why, well. but um, it helped. And you know what he said to us? He said, you seem like a nice family, and you're going to be okay. And, um, you know, when you... Got that initial diagnosis. Was Emmy there in the room, or had other people come? She was. Okay. Yeah, we um, actually, luckily, well, we, she was playing on a phone, or, you know, we, I can't remember. It was late. And yeah. She, um, right, so he told he was telling us. Mm. There was no, you know, trying to communicate that to her. Sure. And, and I think that they're well-educated that that is the role of the child life specialists. Mm. They have the right words that kids can understand to explain those things. When did you start working with the child life specialist? Oh, right away. I mean, so, yeah. so, so we were, you know, as I said, coming home from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So what she got diagnosed probably like eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night and child life was right there in the morning. Yeah. And because she had to have her port placed. So you stayed over that night? We, I mean, yeah, we didn't leave for like two and a half weeks. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I remember that. It was the beginning of April, and it was snowing, and it would just, just these real light snows, and all the residents and everybody would, you know, they're just trying to make small talk, mm-hmm. and it's a really happy floor, actually, mm-hmm. the 12th floor, and uh, they just kept commenting on the snow, and I, I, I was kind of bitter at still, and I thought, when 
who cares about the snow outside? I mean, I don't think I left the building for two weeks. I did not leave that building for two weeks. Wow. So, yeah, it was tough, and there was a lot going on. Uh, One blessing, another blessing was that Penny could be up there with us during the day. But when it's flu and cold season, they, I mean, and they rightly so, they have Mm. to kind of crack down on visitors. Sure. And so they they don't allow any kids below 12 years old. And that makes things hard um, when you have siblings and stuff. Yeah, of course. So did she have a lot of questions initially when everything was Not really. A really great piece of advice, I think this is probably any good parenting advice, (laughs) is that the child life specialist, it was Cassidy, she said, um, don't just keep asking the questions. Say what you want to say, like the special medicine is working Mm -hmm. if your hair is falling out, and don't keep harping on it. She heard you. She just might not want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And you know she did that for a while. They had a Barbie that they gave her that didn't have any hair and it had, you know, some handkerchiefs and hats and everything. Yeah. And, I mean, she didn't want anything to do with that Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that you just kind of respect where she is in that. Yeah. Yeah. It had to come to her naturally exactly. on her own time. Wow. That's... Yeah. To, to not force the conversation was kind of what Cassidy was trying to tell me to not to do. Yeah. Were there any other kind of little memorable phrases or, you know, words um, and speech that they used? They call her when, um, when her port – okay, so, so some people might not know what a port is. So mm, yeah. how did they describe it to us? They described it to us as a bouncy ball that's cut in half mm. and it's just under your skin. Yeah. And so what the nurses do is they take a needle. We have a numbing cream that we put on Emmy a half hour before. And they take a needle and, you know, after they've prepped the area – and they kind of just poke it right in. And then there's a clear adhesive bandage that goes over it. Mm. And then her IV line and everything is attached through there. And so they call her IV line her tubi. What helped get through? Those yeah, this two is weeks? Uh, that's a great question because I think a lot of people want to help and they don't know how. Um, and and even people in my same situation might have different needs depending on. But um Things that helped were just support on social media, just, you know, people reaching out. They didn't have to say anything fancy, just saying that they loved us or they wanted to help us. Uh, We also had um, kind of an angel. I think that God gave me certain blessings along the way to deal with it. And one of them was uh, Miss Heather, who is the director of her school, her Goddard school. And she would just come every Thursday. It didn't matter if we were in clinic. It didn't matter if we were at home. She'd bring food and she'd bring little gifts for the kids. And she, it was just something to look forward to oh. that it was. she was always positive. You know, you, having someone positive, like bring that positive energy into the room was really helpful. But, um, and we really only had one bad time. And I would say that was worse than the night. That's the darkest hour of my life was... Um, was what was it two months in were we two months in and um she just wasn't eating she just wasn't eating and I remember she went in for a normal procedure and I said I'm not taking her home tonight because something's wrong she's not responding to the Zofran she's she's puking she's not eating and she stayed two weeks which is she did not need to I mean that was not medically necessary she stayed two weeks because she was sick for two weeks and a week in she um developed stroke signs and that is something, unfortunately, that can happen with our chemotherapies. And uh, so we, you know, and I even remember I said, you know, I just feel like I can see a slight, the slightest droop on her right side. And the residents and everybody come in and even my husband was like, I can't see it. And I was like, I think I see it. And my mother-in-law also thought that she saw it. Huh. And then um, 
her signs kind of waxed and waned, but at one point she had a terrible droop. And so, so what happened was within the same night, within hours, those signs worsened. Wow. And then they improved mildly, and then they worsened. And all during those hours, we were getting imaging. We were getting all this imaging to see if she had had a stroke. And she certainly did have a lesion um, that looked like a stroke. And I remember that. I mean, it was terrible because to, to think that your child has cancer is one thing. And then to think that she can't withstand her treatments because she's had a stroke is a completely other thing. We, they came in and they said it's a stroke. And we went to bed that night, and, you know, you become a big prayer when your child's sick. Yeah. <laughs> or at least I did. Yeah. And I, I just prayed to God, and I said, I know you're going to take care of this, so I'm going to go to bed now because I need <laughs> to sleep, and I'm exhausted. And I, I really felt, I really just felt completely at peace that he was going to, he was going to take care of this, yes, whether her signs went away, whatever it was. Yeah. And when we woke up in the morning, I call this Emmy's miracle, because when we woke up in the morning, the neuro team came in. And they said, the neurology team, and they said, um, so we have a neuroradiologist who reviewed the scans, and it's not a stroke. It's a very rare toxicity that occurs with methotrexate, which was the chemo she was getting, and it, it usually never recurs. And it and her signs will completely go away. Wow. I mean, it was like, it was, I, I call it, was it a miracle. Emmy's miracle. Yeah. Because it, it was, I mean, to a parent that, I mean, that's, that's a miracle. You know, Emmy was always really tiny, and she gained a lot of weight that first month. One of the things, the, the drugs that they give her is a high-dose prednisone, and so, well, steroid. And um, she gained a lot of weight, a lot of weight. And I remember when she was losing, her hair was thinning, wasn't really gone, all of it yet. And she was gaining all this weight. I remember when she just... It's like she hadn't, as a child, you don't look at yourself in the mirror every mm. day, right? And so she, she got up to wash her hands after she went to the bathroom, and she was like, I have, I have a fat stomach. I have big cheeks. And that bothered her actually more than um, her hair. And, you know, we have women of all sizes in my family. Mm. You know, that's, weight is not something that we actually ever talk about. Yeah. So it really surprised me, but um, it, it, I have to say it was a dramatic change. Mm. I mean, it, it, she was unrecognizable. I yeah. Mean, people would not have recognized her that knew her. Wow. Yeah. Um, she said, I have a, I miss my short cheeks oh. is what she said. I miss my short cheeks. And sometimes she'll wake up and she'll say, I had a dream I had long hair. Now, I know that you did a little something special to honor Emmy, to support her, to make her not feel so alone. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? I kind of, the kids were asleep. We were at the clinic and I said, Andy, I'm, I didn't ask him because yeah. I don't ask him stuff. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do this. And he started crying. And he said, you know, I think that's a really wonderful thing you want to do. So we did it together. And I, I talked to Cassidy, the child life specialist, you know, how should we do this? Mm. I, I just want her to know that you can be a woman and not have hair. And um, I want her to see women without hair mm-hmm. every day yeah. so that she doesn't. That's why I did it, really. And... Um, so we decided to do it together, and Andy said that um, he shaved my head, actually, with the dog clippers. <laughs> I let Emmy pick the day. She, she started losing her hair a month into her treatment, and I let her pick the day. So she picked probably five to six weeks after her diagnosis. Yeah. And, yeah, Andy clipped my hair with uh, 
the dog clippers, and um, we took a couple before and after pictures, and she liked it. And then a couple weeks after that, she said, don't do it again, Mommy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I never – I didn't keep – shaving it. I just did it once and let it grow out. What kind of became the new normal? What did your routine look like? Well, I I took a family medical leave, so I have a really um, wonderful boss, and he was completely supportive, and so I stayed at home, and that was a big change for us. And I started doing school in the basement. <laughs> and she looked forward to it, believe it or not. Because, see, we were we were homebound. I mean, she was so immunosuppressed. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do any normal kid things. So I tried to think of all these creative ways, projects to do or things to read. And um, so so we basically going to clinic, that's what we call, you know, her, her appointments at Nationwide, became our routine. And it actually became a highlight because it became – you know, the time at, at different points, sometimes we were going three times a week to nationwide, but it became like an outing for us, yeah. you know. Yeah, time to leave the house right. and, and see some nice So pretty much, generally, she had chemo once a week. And then if she was in one of those phases where it was really tough chemo, that means that her her blood would drop and her platelets would drop and she might need some extra infusions and then she would come an extra for that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there were several weeks where we were in there three times a week. What about um, your younger daughter, mm-hmm. Penny? Penny. Oh, yeah, she's a trooper. <laughs> she's um, She has an amazing emotional intelligence, probably beyond what my husband and I have. She <laughs> has an awareness of um, her emotions. It's really mm-hmm. remarkable. And, um, of course, she was affected by this. You know, we try everything to make things even and not have Penny miss out, but... Penny was in quarantine for a year, too. I mean, between the year of one and two, she was on lockdown, too. And she will say to her teachers at school, you can't go to the movies because Emmy's counts are low. <laughs> she says, Emmy needs wow. platelets. Yeah. She, one she time, knows these big words. <laughs> <laughs> one time she told someone that she can't hit Emmy because her platelets are low. <laughs> what a good, I mean, hey, at least she knows she can't hit her. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure I said that, right? You know, you hear kids say things and you think, ah, oh, gosh, but... Anyway, but she's been a trooper and a yes, yes. She she's great. And um, one, you know, you talked about how family kind of came in and supported us. Mm-hmm. And my sisters sent gifts and visited, and my mom and um, but but Linda, my mother in law, because they're retired and she is the person that she is. She went to every clinic appointment with me every week, and that was another highlight. Was Grandma's coming on Sunday, and then we have clinic on Monday, and. Um, she spent a lot of time with Penny because siblings can't spend the night at Nationwide. Mm-hmm. So it's it's completely necessary, but it's totally painful because here we have Emery. She's sick. We're worried. Every time she was in the clinic, well, you're more worried sometimes than other times, but, you know, it's not fun. And mm-hmm. Penny's getting torn away every night. And um, she <laughs> – Linda said, my mother-in-law says that she hated her at first because she would see Linda come and she would know that that meant oh. she wasn't going to spend the night with us. Yeah. And they have a wonderful, I mean, the, yeah. they've worked through it, of course. But um, Linda's definitely, I I mean, I call Linda now just for advice on things. I mean, it, one positive thing that has come out of this is that I feel like I go to war for that woman. So when did you start to think about getting more involved in Pelotonia? Was that after Emmy's health improved, during? Talk a little bit more about that. Once she was in remission, my head cleared a little bit. And I remember going on a run and thinking, 
I want something good to come of this. And that's kind of when the idea to like, you know, choose a cancer organization uh, came into my mind. Yeah. So you started the Everyone for Emory Peloton. Right. Um, and who joined up? Who participated? And how did well, of course, it all Yeah, go? my mother-in-law was first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's pretty um, athletic. Okay. And so this was right up her alley, you know. And then also um, I, my brother-in-law, Josh Brown, I actually went to vet school with him. And so um, it's kind of neat because we have a lot of memories together. And uh, we're very close now that we're family. And he and his wife, Carolyn, they have just been, you know, championed us and they kind of signed up. And so then other Tweeus family members signed up. So really it was my, my, it was kind of the Tweeus group. And then it was also my sister's husband. Mm -hmm. And he actually couldn't make it to Pelotonia because, um, my sister was pregnant and she was very close to delivering. Oh, so he couldn't even make it in. (laughs) Couldn't even make it. That's right. (laughs) Um, but he's coming this year. Every day she's going to be in maintenance for, you said two years. No? It's about, yeah, so um, August 7th, 2020, 2021. So technically, it's um, two days after her seventh birthday. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about that day with her, or is it just one yeah, day? We, I mean, we talk, because there's still a lot of stuff that she can't do. Like, we can't do be near any fresh water. So no beaches, no ponds, um, fires are things they don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's just little things like that, and she'll really want to do something, digging in dirt. She can't dig in dirt. And um, I'll say, you know what? I'm going to let you take a mud bath on August 7th, 2021. I always <laughs> say that to her. So, Well, so little things again to yeah. look forward to. Yeah. That's cool. Um, One thing I, I want to say. Yeah. Is um, that a lot of people, this is kind of not particular advice, but when you're in a situation where someone you love is affected by cancer, you know, people might want different kinds of support, but I felt like everybody wanted to do something, but they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I said I want something good to come of this, I, 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 really, I really believe and know that research changes outcomes. And so I thought that a way that everyone could show their love was supporting us in Pelotonia. And they didn't have to give us money. They could volunteer. Mm-hmm. They could, you know, just share, share mm-hmm. a message, share some a writer's, you know, message. And, and and that's what everybody did. I mean, they really, really came through for us. My mother-in-law was my star fundraiser. She raised over $3,000. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It Had is. she ever done anything like that in the past? No. no. So it was all for her? Yeah. So I gave her, like, VIP treatment. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Got to take care of her. Yeah. <laughs> Were you able to ride last year? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we did. We weren't sure about counts and, you know, was she going to be in the hospital because she was still getting a lot of tough stuff then. Yeah. But, yeah, we it's kind of fun because it just so happens that it falls on her birthday weekend every time. Really? Her birthday's August 5th. And so it's really fun because we had this all this family there and then we had a par- party afterwards. And we are, gosh, just a couple miles from the 25, the Pickerington. Okay. We just live that close. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just bike home and have a big party. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you had ridden prior yes. to this year, or to last year, I should say. Um, but that would have been the first ride that you had where, you know, you had gone right. through all of this and it, it took on a different meaning. What did you think about when you were riding and celebrating with everybody that weekend? Well, the Tweeves are kind of a rowdy group. And I don't think they're going to fault me for saying that, describing them in that <laughs> way. Um, and so I, I didn't... Uh, Things were always happening with the Tuyus, you know. Mm. So, you know, we were having a lot of fun, and, and um, 
I didn't have a break. I didn't have a, um, you know, going through Pickerington can be tough because there's a lot of signs and everything. But what happened was that um, we just took a long time. We took a long time, and so a lot of the crowds were gone by the time we went through Pickerington. So we kind of av- avoided, not intentionally, um, but a lot of the emotional part of that. Because I remember being a graduate fellow and going through Pickerington and sobbing. Just sobbing yeah. the whole, I mean, yeah. you know, and then you got to go up a hill. So <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so broken I down know, and then just, you got to, yeah. <laughs> we have to work on that, right? <laughs> so it really was a chance for you to celebrate and yes. reflect on how far you had come in such a short period of time. I mean, April 1st, right? To mm-hmm. August first weekend, right? such an immense amount of time, lack of sleep, you right. know, all these things had kind of built up on your family. So I'm glad that it could be a celebration weekend. Obviously, you know, your family was involved with Pelotonia before all this happened. You have all the reason in the world to, you know, stick with it and and continue championing this. But what would you say to somebody who maybe hasn't had as close of a connection to cancer and is on the fence about participating? Uh, You know, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that you're lucky if you're someone who isn't deeply affected enough to feel compelled to fundraise, that you're lucky, but that unfortunately um, it's going to hit you because it's just too common. And um, like I said earlier, you know, the only, the change that we can all make is to fundraise and for more cancer research because that's the only way we're going to solve these problems. As Morgan shares in her episode, when she applied to be a Pelotonia-funded researcher in the Pelotonia Fellowship Program, she could have never imagined how cancer would touch her life. So personally, years later, Morgan's entire family is going to celebrate Pelotonia every year and celebrate the research that is making her life possible. So we're so grateful to Morgan for sharing her story and can't wait to see them on the ride. We want to say thank you to our major funding partners who make everything in the Pelotonia world possible. So thank you to the Alburns Foundation, Huntington, the American Electric Power Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santoli. There is truly no end to the remarkable ideas that the Pelotonian community has come up with throughout the years to raise funds and just have a great time in the process. So at the end of each podcast, we're excited to share with you a few stories about what our community has done to aid in their Pelotonia fundraising efforts. So Olivia, who is my colleague and our ride community coordinator, hears a lot of these stories firsthand. And we talked about a really sweet little girl in this last episode. So, Olivia, talk to us about some sweet fundraisers. Yes. One of my favorite sweet treats is ice cream. Mm. And there's nothing better on a hot summer day than to have a great treat, uh, especially ice cream. And there's an awesome group in, in Columbus, uh, Lane Bryant, that hosts an ice cream social at their office. Mm. So they bring in um, velvet ice cream. They have scoops, scoopers there. They have toppings, a whole Sunday bar. They charge a few dollars to get a scoop of ice cream. And it brings down colleagues and, and friends from around the building to come on down, have some ice cream and just socialize and learn more about Pelotonia, understand what's happening, celebrate with each other. And they raise over $600 just in one year doing it. That's awesome. And it's just, it's a really simple way to get people together. And, you know, we always say whatever event you're hosting to tell people more about Pelotonia, have food there. It certainly breaks down some barriers because a lot of people think when they show up to a quote unquote Pelotonia event 
that they should be a cyclist. They should be athletic. They should be, you know, ready to ride and raise money. And that's not the case at all. No. Right. We've had over 20,000 unique riders uh, over our 11 year history. And I can tell you that very few of them probably went into uh, signing up for Pelotonia thinking, oh man, this is totally for me. I'm really comfortable riding, you know, 25 plus miles on a bike. I'm really comfortable committing to $1,250. There's certainly a learning curve there. And Mm -hmm. um, above all, it's just caring about cancer research. So when you can have a party that is really inclusive and just getting people to have some ice cream, it's such a fun way to encourage people to get more involved. Yeah, there's even a family, the Gutman family, they are located outside of Columbus and they do a great job bringing their neighborhood together by actually renting out an ice cream truck. So you hear the music coming down the street, everyone gathers around, and uh, this family just has an awesome time. They end up raising enough money from this ice cream truck event to fund both Elizabeth and her husband's uh, ride for that year. Oh, wow. And they ride in honor of their son, who uh, is a survivor, which is pretty awesome. That's really special. I love that. Now, please keep listening for a preview of our next episode. In our relationship, I'm the handbringer. Um, and even on days of chemo, he will go back to work the next day. He just makes it part of his life as opposed to, well, the first year we did this, you actually wrote that it was a bump in the road. You've been listening to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. Hosted by me, Ride Community Manager Jill Landino, with interview production and scheduling by Marketing Communications Manager Emily Smith. Produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media by Vince Tornero. Additional mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orin Judio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being so open and willing to share their stories. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, as that will help others hear these empowering stories. If you're curious about joining the Pelotonia community and making an impact on cancer research, please see the link in the episode notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.